You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. Who's coming out? Do it. Oh, I guess you are. It's always kind of a well, now we know. Like yeah. I'm like the uh, the marathon runner that breaks the tape. You grab hold of the reins. I feel like I we always I think that's called a false start. Is it? Because I feel like it's a pretty true to form start right now. Yeah, yeah. I don't I know think, what, how to okay. say that. But. I think generally speaking, the show always starts like the Wiener Dog Nationals. Whereas, like, you guys ever so been... So many poops on the floor. No, well, well, and that may have it, too. But, I mean, like, have you guys ever been to the Wiener Dog races? Uh, they do in, in... They hold in Buda every year? Well, they do in Buda. They do it all over the place. There, there's, Wait like, a, a whole circuit oh, of docks and races. There's a but, Wiener Dog race? Thing? Oh, it's amazing. And if place. you've not gone, you've I, really not uh, I've never been in person, done right by yourself. Uh, but. but just imagine a bunch of dachshunds. Like running a race, and they pretty much have the gist. Yeah, no, you don't have the gist. I mean, so so basically, what happens is there are there are you know like six to eight of these little boxes, and these do- most of these dachshunds are just house pets, and so their owners will sit at the other end of the finish line, and then the, come on, honey, come on, sugar boy, right? And they'll and they're like, and I guess that like you can't hold a treat out or anything. Like you, they just have to like run to you, and so the gates will go up. The whole there's like an announcer, and some of the dogs run right to mom or dad or whoever it is that you know brought them, and some of the dogs just stand there. And I kind of feel like that's what this show's like. But can you like <laughs> yell at your? Can, can, some <laughs> nights I agree with you. Yes. Can you be like puddles? Come on, puddles. Come on. Can you be like? Puddles? Yes, I, I I get what you were just saying, but so, I still so have questions what, about the about the dogs in me. So oh, what, dude, what you Kevin is go. basically saying is that we need somebody to coax this thing out of the <laughs> right. gates. Yes, somebody to stand on the other side of Mark's office and cheer us to the finish line. Come All on, right. guys. Come on, boy. Come on. <laughs> Clear. On, Shane. Come on, Shane and Ryan. Come on. All right, kids. What are we? Play some theme music. I'm Shane. I'm Ryan. I'm Kevin. I'm Mark. This is somebody likes it. So it's worth noting that uh, we have a we have a passing. We have a celebrity death watch, and this is another one that because I believe I've, I've mentioned this gentleman within the last like month or so. We've been talking about him on the show for a while. Well, and he's he's a quote. He has been a quotable mofo for uh, for quite a while, and we're talking about, of course, Mark E. Smith from The Fall. Wait, I love uh, how you say "of course." Like we're talking, of course. Well, I mean, the fact that he's in, well, he's another one of the. I said, of course, because as I like as the words were coming out of my face, I thought this guy is like he was he was in the like and Frank. I say during the heyday, but like I don't think he ever really became unquotable. He was like uh, like Noel Gallagher level acrimonious in interviews, and so I, I think well, Kevin, so Kevin so. yeah, talking about yeah. Mark E. Smith of the Fall, the only consistent member. Well, right. That's what I just said. I don't know if you brought him up or not, but okay. anyway, um, who fell? One of the I mean, there were, there were a bunch of little um, um, short obituaries that came out today. Uh, he just died today, but irascible uh, was one of the things. Well, that doesn't to describe me. him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, like like cantankerous. I think maybe if that maybe likewise appeared. does not surprise me. <laughs> yeah, his last interview was with the Guardian last year, and I guess so. There was a fall record that came out last year as well, but. Um, I was reading about this, and there was somebody said, like, the person that interviewed him said, like, is, you know, being angry, like, is that important to you? Like, is that something that you, you feel like is important to you? And he was like, yeah. 
he's like, he's like, he's like people. This, and I'm not. Re- I'm not reading like, a like, direct fucking quote. It's just kind of my thing. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. it needs to be. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, I'll see if I can find the direct quote. But yeah. But basically, he just said like, um. Yeah. Is it important for you to remain angry? Yeah. People still cross the road from me. I still got that. I can clear a pub when I want to. It's a talent. And the guy was <laughs> tiny, tiny. <laughs> that's exactly what he said. But the, that's not even the best quote. Like the best, the best quote from this whole thing was that I guess there was a band um, called the Fat White Family that put out a song called "I Am Marky Smith," and uh, somebody asked in this interview last year, like if he had heard that song, and he says no, but people say it's really good, and he said. They, I guess, played before you at, at Glastonbury in 2015. Did you see them? And he said – he told some story about them getting cheeky and full of themselves and how he told them what for. But anyway, he says – my favorite part of that story, which I will not read you all of it, he's like, I was giving a glass of champagne to the lads before we went on, and then one of them just walks up, my favorite song. and I threw just threw it in his face. He was shoving off, and there was a bit of a standoff. Like the stuff of theirs I've heard, though. I like the stuff of theirs I've heard, though. It was pretty weird that day. The Dalai Lama was there. <laughs> and he just drops that, and then they move on to something Ep- else. Epilogue. <laughs> yeah. Like King of Coda. The, King of the like, non-secretary right there. Anyway, yeah. So how did he end up dying? Anger. Little hardened arteries. Sure. Yeah. Is that he'd been, he'd been ill for a while, and the last public appearance or last uh, fall... Uh, show that he uh, conducted. He was in a wheelchair, and he was supposed to come stateside and do a bunch of dates, and they canceled him twice. But it wasn't like a Morrissey thing. I don't guess we have the gong in here, uh, where he was just being a dick, even though he kind of was a dick, apparently. <laughs> but no, he was just in ill health, and they haven't really said what. But um, in this interview, they also asked him who he would like to play him in a film of his life, and he said either Rip Torn or Dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> guy had a sense of humor. At We've got to pick yeah. one of their records one of these days. Oh, um, are you kidding? Like, like that guy's that is quote the machine. definition of a band I've heard about. Like I think that is so much over the years. That is not the first time that ev- whenever Marky Smith has been brought up on the show, it, I would I would say every single time we were like a oh, quote yeah, of his. Is, to that. Like we need to listen to one of his records. Somebody needs to pick that, and then we well, don't. Yeah, well, they're not going to be needing new ones, so uh, we have to pick of the litter. And what else? What else has been going on this past week? Couple of uh, couple of couple of weeks. I can talk now. Yeah, yeah. Shane has voice back. Sh- Shane nowhere, voice watch two thousand eighteen. Yeah, it's nowhere near <laughs> as important of anything that we're talking about right now. But God damn it, in my life it is. You said it's been fifty six weeks since you've been able to speak. Seventy. Seventy, 70 days. 70 days. Days. Oh, days. Seventy days, fifty-six yeah. weeks. It'd 50, be like fifty-six <laughs> weeks would be over a year. Yeah, yeah. So it's been uh, two Strong and a half months. <laughs> but yes, uh, also a couple prominent retirings in the world of music. Yes, uh, we've got Neil Diamond. Sweet Carol. Have you ever heard bum, that song? Bum, bum, yeah, that, that yes. one. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, that's that's no, who's I've that? heard it. Neil Diamond. You just brought him up. Oh, that guy. Dumbass. Yeah, um, he has Parkinson's. Uh, he does. He's seventy seven. Yeah. And he looks pretty good, but I mean apparently he's not feeling out. so good. Guy had a uh, great career. I mean Yeah. He's a guy <laughs> had a great career. Starting with writing the songs for the monkeys, but 
He had one really great song in the '60s. What was it? Um, I want to say "Secret Agent Man," but that's not it. it was, Cheer um, up, sleepy daydream believer. He wrote that. Well, song. no, that's a well-written song. But there's one that he actually performed, and it'll come to me while in about like a minute. Sweet and a half Caroline. Away. Well, that is a great song as well. But anyway, um, "Solitary Man." Turn on your heart light. I don't know what solitary man is. Isn't that like a? You'd know it if you. Isn't heard that it. like what? What was the guy that did turn the page? Bob Seger wasn't that? It a, was Bob Seger. That was. Turn the page was. No solitary man. Like, wasn't that? Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Look, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna burn all the all these candles. But I'm telling you, like, I guess I've just heard other people. Well, I guess I've heard a lot of other people record. Yeah, it's a great song, Like, and his version of it is a great song. And I'm not the world's biggest Neil Diamond fan, but like, he has his place. Also, uh, retiring from touring, but after a, th- a planned three-year... Um, 300 grand, dates! Like, yeah, a yeah. grand finale tour of three years long is Elton John. Uh, and he's, ca- of course, calling it Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Uh, but he's 70, and he wants to, wants to spend more time with his uh, husband and his child, and... But not until three years from now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there there are lots of things Wait, that are that are true. Is important. I, I look. I mean, the, the man obviously loves the spotlight. It's going to be re- you think? it's going to be hard for him to let go of it. But aren't, he is aren't seventy. You, aren't you kind of a couple of giant walk-in closets full of sweet sequined? Uh, sweet it sequined. Yes. Uh, aren't, se- that should be the name of your new sequined, sequined company. Yeah, sequined uh, lounge jackets and giant sunglasses. Aren't you kind you know. of tempting fate doing that? Saying I'm gonna I'm gonna do three hundred dates and. I'm well, I don't know, man. I mean, yeah, he is, you know, north he's of a goal 70. setter. Yeah, I have ah, to tell that you, that's crazy for me to think about though. Elton John being seventy years old—that's he is seventy years that's old. That's hard my for me to wrap my head around. I have to say that um, none of these are my favorite story that broke today. My favorite story today is about uh, Fifty Cent. Uh, oh, accepting payment in Bitcoin and then not realizing he that he had made about he it. forgot that he made between seven and eight million dollars. Yeah, <laughs> like just forgot about it. In and, his 2014 record, right? He accepted Bitcoin for because he was like, you know, I want to pay me any way you want to pay me. Yeah. yeah, and so he got about 700 bitcoins, which at the time was still like a pretty good. They were change. they were at like at worth 662 dollars at the time. Now yeah, like they were they're fluctuating between since then. ten and twenty grand. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so he just realized he had $7.5 million worth of Bitcoin just Good laying around. Good for him around. because didn't we talk about him inexplicably going into bankruptcy a couple of shows ago? Yeah, but apparently like he also put up a thing on Instagram uh, around the same time that he was supposedly broke, but he had just like piles of cash in his refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> cold, cold, hard cash. Let's get on to uh, the matter at hand unless anybody else has any other current news that they want yeah, to discuss. Yeah, talk about it. You should have a gavel. You should have the gong and the gavel like here, here, doom, doom, out. Well, we keep talking about bringing in that uh, the, the, the hotel bellman uh, oh, yeah. ding, but we're not there yet. Anyway, uh, who's the so Ryan? Bellman? You, oh, okay. you picked today's record. I did. Tell uh, us, tell us what you chose. Lou Reed's nineteen eighty nine. Uh, some critics would say probably uh, return to form. Um, some critics may. Anyhow, New York, uh, and. Uh, the word that kept coming back to me, and we'll get into this a little bit more, but was curmudgeon. <laughs> yeah. Like, that is, that is where that guy lived. You know, like, for some odd reason, like, a man with, like, many accolades, um, 
Walk on the Wild Side, The Velvet Underground. For some reason, in 1992, I think this album came out. Mm. 1989. 89. 89. Sorry. Uh, there's a three-year difference there. Um, so, 89. Math. Uh, I know. Look, also, like, Lou Reed, it looks like it's, like, it needs to be, like, a poison, like, it's a heavy metal logo. They look like they're in a heavy metal band. And for some reason, Lou Reed just decided he needed to join an Austin, Texas 1989 bar band and um, write shitty slam poetry and well, make this I, fucking steaming bowl of dog shit. I like it considerably more than you do. I mean, and and uh, by that, do you mean like it, like from a like an F, you go up to a D? No, I'd call it's it like, horse like shit, right? It's the I'd worst. Call it we like fucking, a, a B minus. But I. Oh my god. It, the only reason you're saying that is because you picked it. It is fucking unlistenable. I think the thing that struck me, and this is a little bit of inside, like to use the ter- the inside baseball term on this, we don't, and I don't want to, I, I will preface this by saying that I am not bringing this up to devolve the show and try and take us in a direction that I frankly don't think the show is really about, but I will, I'll take, I'll, Peel back the curtain a little bit and let the audience know that we don't. We intentionally don't spend. We don't spend a ton of time talking politics on the show because there are plenty of politics specific podcasts. There are other places you can find that. Yeah, and and some, but but I think that this record is is intended from Lou Reed's point of view. It seems to be at least lyrically his kind of political take on the New York of the late eighties. And so I don't it's, know. It's like, pretty dated. Uh, yeah, I don't know how how well like, it lands modern day, but I do think like in that snow globe, it's interesting. Even if you don't love it, at least it was interesting for me. Even if I don't love it, and I don't. Well, I don't know. I, I do dig the first couple songs, and I think um, Dirty Boulevard is a, a classic. That's what I was saying. Halloween Parade and Dirty Boulevard are great songs. If you take those two songs out of this record, it is a bowl of dog shit waste of vomit time. I mean, it's just horrible. Well, okay, hey, so the reason that I, that I ended up uh, picking this in the first place is because uh, when we did our first holiday mixtape or whatever, I uh, picked Christmas in February. That's a pretty and that's good a great song, too. song, too. That's a pretty you good song, too. That at the time, I do like so. that song. That's a pretty good song, too. Yeah, which, which, it, we can't see the, all the... like. All the, you know, we're looking at... The, Mark has the track list Mark up, has but we the can't track see all behind of them. Us. We can't see all of them. Oh. That, is, that is a pretty Come on, pretty Mark. good one, too, that Christmas in February. But Use your words, I'll fellas. tell you Just what, ask man, me to I would love, I would love to page. put on a song like Sick of You, where he thinks he's being clever, and make the entire room listen to all three minutes and 25 seconds well, of it. We're not going to do that. We are going to get into of it. Of course you though. won't do it. <laughs> Well, let's I, let's I pick want, a song. I want to do stuff that's representative of the record, and I think of that course, is way more representative of the record than the few. Yeah, that's a good point. Couple of songs. Thank you, Mark. Well, <laughs> let's get into Dirty Boulevard because I feel like that one's a it's slam dunk. That classic. one's a great song, and and there are plenty of ways for us to punish the audience. So <laughs> that's I think a we've been doing fair, that already. Statement. Pedro lives out of the Wilshire Hotel. He looks out a window without glass. The walls are made of cardboard. Newspapers on his feet, and his father beats him because he's too tired to beg. He's got nine brothers and sisters. They're brought up on their knees. It's hard to run. The coat hanger beats you on the thighs. Pedro dreams of being older and killing the old man, but that's a slim chance. He's going to the boulevard. He's going to end up. 
on the dirty boulevard. He's going out to the dirty boulevard. He's going down to the dirty boulevard. $2,000 a month. You can believe it, man. It's true. Somewhere a landlord's laughing till he wets his pants. No one dreams of being a doctor or a lawyer or anything. They dream of dealing on the dirty boulevard. So my question is, if this is actually a depart, uh, a return to form, would I actually enjoy the, the departure from form? Hard to say. <clears throat> what I was talking about earlier, uh, Metal Machine Music apparently was a big middle finger to, their, to his uh, record company. Like, he had another record to deliver and he just recorded the most unlistenable thing ever i never actually heard it but it's like legendarily bad it's got to be pretty goddamn legendarily bad if it's if you think that or, or if this album in particular is is held up as like the is like return the, to form is is the or like uh, yeah like Mark it's saying, like uh, a shitty blues band from bar band some of it is Tuesday. all of it is almost it's not like all right. Here's here's another thing. So, and Dirty Boulevard is a is actually a pretty um, kind of a harbinger of of this idea, and it pops up on this album again and again. But there's a lot of like uh, basically it, the point has been made in some of the pieces that I have read about this particular record that. Uh, some of the neighborhoods that that he talks about, like specifically, like the neighbor, like the Lower East Side, where um, where Lou Reed and John Cale used to live, like has totally gentrified. It has, and so it's yeah. not, you know, they're not like like the Dirty Boulevard is actually it's pretty nice these days. Boulevard now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a you know, it's got flower we boxes. You can get upscale croissants <laughs> on the clean boulevard <laughs> and a latte. <laughs> right. Just doesn't doesn't really carry the same weight. Well, does it? I guess like ultimately for me, I think uh, that uh, that matters less to me. I, it, it, a lot of times, it seems like a parody of Lou Reed because he's he's doing that Lou Reed thing, but the words mean nothing and they sound like a cranky. Old man that didn't spend a lot of you know what it sounds you know what this record sounds like to me and and and, and it reminds me a lot of and I'm gonna say it but I'm only saying it because it fits into what I'm talking about here is like late era current era Morrissey in that you just want it to be better <laughs> you're just like you had such a great run you had such great brilliant stuff and you're not even fucking trying anymore. Well, I will say this. Um, I did think a lot of this record was kind of funny because it's so relentlessly bleak. It's yeah, so relentlessly it is, bleak. Like, like even in, on, a, on a song that we, we both, like I think most of us around here uh, agree is good. Here's the sample lyric from Dirty Boulevard. Give me your hunger, you're tired, you're poor, I'll piss on them. That's what the Statue of Bigotry says. You're poor huddled masses. Let's club them to death and get it over and just dump them on the boulevard. Yeah, there's there's and no, like every song is that like just and that's sort like, of what that's come what, on, dude. There's you have to have some happiness somewhere. It's not about that. It's that you can say those words, but say them in a I hate to say poetic way, but say them in a way that would make someone listen to it and be like, oh, that's really interesting. That's that's art rather than just writing out basically 
fucking headlines from a newspaper or something. You know, well, like, there's well, you're talking about that one song. I'd be no, dude, about. what I'm talking about is the way that there's no artistry in the way that he, and you know, when he would okay, like uh, you know, I'm waiting for my man. Um, in that song, it was matter of fact, but also poetic almost in the way that he talked about what was about to happen. His, his, his delivery style in the vocals is virtually identical to what he was doing in Velvet Underground. It is, however... Music's better in Velvet Underground. The, the music is better in the Velvet Underground? Uh, yes, that's what I said. Right, okay. Um, I'm trying to think of a word of, like, if better is where you start at the lowest of the low and go up, you know, how far from there. This you realize is, they can't see when you gesture. Right, um, yeah, sorry. So if Shane is demonstrating low and high. Yes, yeah. I was doing that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Okay, you know what? Um, we're getting close to have to listen to another song. Can we listen to? Can we listen to an amazing song? It's called. It's on. It's track number six. Can we? Listen, can I pick one? Sure. I don't, I don't <laughs> okay. Have a with that. Great. Let's listen to "Last Great American Whale" and how brilliant that one is. Oh, here we That's go. Not actually one I love, but uh, it is or is not. Is not. But okay, that's what I'm saying again. And Mark will agree with me. More indicative of of the rest of the album. They say he did have an enemy. His was a greatness to behold. He was the last surviving progeny, the last one on the side of the world. He measured a half mile from tip to tail, silver and black, with powerful fins. They say he could split a mountain in two. That's how we got the Grand Canyon. Last great American whale. Last great American whale. Last great American whale. Last great American whale. Some say they saw him at the Great Lakes. Some say they saw him off of Florida. My mother said she saw him in Chinatown, but you can't always trust your mother. So the the Rolling Stone take on this record at the time mentions this song in the context of what they what they called the album's significant flaw. Now the now the record the review itself is pretty laudatory, like they really took to it, but they said. Uh, that Lou Reed's anger about social conditions is pure and righteous, but he allows it to blind him to any solution. And I have two thoughts on that. One is, all right, maybe. Secondly, <laughs> secondly that is insightful, is, Kevin. That's incredibly insightful. Sec, second thought is, is that the responsibility of the artist to like bring up his protest moment and then fix it in the song? Is that the way that that works? I'm pretty sure that this album, I could be wrong, but I'm almost positive, and I have been, and this is kind of what makes me matter about it, is that he's playing a character in it. Um, like a cranky, oh, I'm sure that's Like a too. cranky conservative yeah. guy. You keep bringing up that word because we've got emergency crank radio in front of you that I had to bring in. That's probably why. <laughs> yeah. Um, but 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 because dude, no, he was actually like a well-known crank. Yeah, like, I know he was kind of a dick. Look, look, if there are some of these songs, if he w- if they weren't characters in the songs and they were just coming from him, 
then he's even more of a dick than I thought before. And he was on my top five dicks in music ever of all time. I mean, I'm almost positive that this record, like a lot of the complaints he has in this record, he's saying through the mouthpiece of someone, of a character, maybe an Archie Bunker type character. Well, I do and think it, that, he, you know, at some point he kind of decided on, like, this is my persona. And, like, you can't all of a sudden... No, like, it's going away from that persona. You're, what, what you're, 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 you're not even listening to a, a second of what I just said. There are a lot of times where people will do records based in voices of other people. And I feel like that's what a lot of this record is. He's doing this record. You can almost see from start to finish him complaining, like complaining about Jesse Jackson and complaining about, like, all these stuff. It sounds like Archie Bunker to me. Well, like... And, he- like he's trying to embody like a a character rather than himself. You're calling it a Colbert moment, but I think that like I I mean I and I get how you could say that, but I do think that it's probably fair to to mention that like in the many many years after this record came out, he's not on the record as saying that like no, pun pun intended I guess as saying that that is that is character doesn't mean that it's not maybe well, no, it is. I could but I could like, be I could be totally wrong, but, and that's what I said. If I'm not, that's the only way that gives me any sort of solace. And how fucking much of an asshole and how shitty the music is on this album. So what you is, just took it away from me. What <laughs> What you. is the Sorry. symbolism in this particular song? I mean, the 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 last great American whale is kind of vague, but he's very specific and like I well, I, I thought it was about a, I thought it was about a car and, at the first. Like he's talking about it. I mean, you know, I've got the lyrics pulled up right right here, and it yeah, but they don't make sense. Well, okay. Americans don't care too much for beauty. They'll shit in a river, dump at. No, start at the beginning. Start at the uh, beginning. It sounds like it's a car. Um, well, but but I mean, he's talking about like Native Americans in there. He's talking about. Are you saying silver and black with powerful right fins? There, yeah. They say you could split a mountain in two. That's how so we got the grand. No, I mean that doesn't. Well, make any I guess sense. I was wrong. This makes yeah. no fucking. It's just goddamn nonsense. Can we go into the <laughs> fucking a few minutes with? Please, please, can we get out of this? All right, here we go. I had a, uh, you pointed at Kevin, by the way, when you said three, two. It was a misdirection. Throw me off. uh, It was a misdirection. I have arthritis in this (laughs) finger right now. Oh, sorry. (laughs) And so. Hey, it still didn't get past you, though. You know, like, well, we, no, I mean, we talked that, about it. But he threw a, it out of the strike zone, but you still hit it. No, dude, but that's a testament to how fucking on the draw we are. So, yes. you know, I'm so proud of us. You most guys, shows, you guys, if I had one phrase to describe you, it's on the ball. Most most shows are about like a like a, about a three three and a half sharp. We're like a three and three quarters. You so you make yeah, you might you make go. a little oh, bit off this. Damn, I am so I'm so that makes me so happy that you. So, uh, Jane Jane Bartel? Yes. So, so I had a different song that I've been wanting to play you guys for a while. It will come back up next time I have this segment of the show. But I decided to, since we had Lou Reed today, to play. And we, last time we were, uh, last time we had this, you brought up a Tribe Called Quest song, and um, I wanted to bring up another Tribe Called Quest song. It was their first first or second hit, um, Can I Kick It, which uses... Yes, you can. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Which uses the sample, the bass sample from uh, Walk on the Wild Side. Um, and also, it's a good 
song to point out how much of an asshole Lou Reed is. So, and how how. Let me just say before we listen to this, the lyrics are kind of silly, but this album came out when they were nineteen, and they were writing these things when they were in high school, and it was. It's still a great song. your arms if you really need a hug afrocentric living is a big shrug a life filled with that's what i love a lower plateau is what we're above if it diss us we won't even so the, the when that album that, that's off their first record and um on jive records which by the way eventually ended up putting out like uh one of those one of those like uh rap moguls was uh, responsible for jive records well no jive records ended up being like um what was the Justin Timber like Backstreet Boys was on Jive oh, and uh, yeah. and uh, all those dudes? Um, but however, having said that, so you know those guys were like in high school when they're writing those lyrics. I mean, just silly, pretty good, you know, rhyme scheme, but silly <laughs> lyrics. Do you know? Um, by the way, all of those samples, all of that music was put together by Q-Tip in between seventeen and nineteen years old. They're, They're talented motherfuckers. I, I love would, that song so much. I, I can't lo- stand it. I love yeah. them so much. I turn I turn my kids onto that track. Like you know, like I can go walk around the house and we'll play that. We'll get we'll fire it up with the, we'll get Alexa to fire it up or whatever. Can I kick and, it? And then and and my seven year old will say no, you can't. <laughs> well, Lou Reed, uh, he was approached after the record came out, and um, apparently, from what Fife said, uh, he Fife made, dog. Five dog, uh, R.I.P. Apparently, he he said like, yeah, you can use that sample. However, I own all of the royalties and publishing. These are nineteen year old kids, but Lou Reed is still like trying to take. And by the way, he didn't write that baseline. He might have. I mean, he was the he did so did they agree to writer in Velvet Underground? And he didn't write that baseline. Did they agree? Did they agree to terms? Did they agree to They did, things? and they since haven't seen even one cent from that song. That's interesting. Well, I just I, I find that's it lame. I, I do think the video is kind of hilarious. It the, looks, oh, it's totally. It a, looks like they had an opportunity to like debut their song on like the Ar- Arsenio Hall show. Uh, you gotta remember they're, like, they're uh, like eighteen years old in yeah. nineteen eighty nine on that. And too, it's like, the most literal interpretation. It of is the song. exactly <laughs> literal. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's hilarious. Completely literal. Like, like, like giant block letters that oh. say it, and then they go kick it. We talked about this before, too, man. Like, uh, all of that um, that New York, like, late 80s, early 90s, very serious, but also very cool to listen to um, rap stuff. And that, that, you know, that one falls right in there. Because, like, when, you know, when Fives is saying, Mr. Dinkins, won't you please be my man? You know, this is a 19-year-old guy, like, working in kind of politics into oh mayor dinkins is what, like what you're yeah. talking about yeah and do we think that like his politeness ryan does that where does that rate on the um 
if you ask me please to quit, I'm gonna have. If you step to me with your bullshit, I'm gonna have to ask you please to quit. If you step to me with your bullshit, I'm gonna have to ask you please. And let's and put like quick tiny sidebar recap for people who don't know what the hell that we're talking about. That was a like a like a sample Shane, Shane CD and I that you guys got at South a party by. at South by Southwest one year, and these like kind of I mean God love them they were like really um, ambitious, uh, but like a white rap duo was out handing out squint, around, like what's that squint is that what they were called yeah oh my God um, that's so great but they were handing out <laughs> their their debut record slash demo or whatever and. Uh, we both got a copy, and then we went promptly went back to like one of our places and like listened to the thing, and that was. A and those, those, you so step to me with your bullshit. If you step to me with your, your bullshit, bullshit, I'm, I'm gonna, gonna have, have to, to ask you please to quit. So yeah, so we deconstruct that that particular piece of that. Little crappy demo CD and have for are you kidding me? Crappy that says uh, good is what so we great. just listened to. I don't know. These guys it, are at they were at the Vanguard. We the, just didn't hear it. The point, the point, <laughs> the point I'm making that I, the reason I brought it up in the first place is like really like politeness in rap records is a is a novel conceit. It's a rarity. It's a rarity. Like you don't see it a whole. lot. It's not you know other than like um, like self deprecation. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> all of Skilo. Yeah, don't see a lot of self-deprecation. Yeah, Skilo. Yeah, Skilo is a great example, uh, but it doesn't happen very often. Anyway, now that song is great. Um, Shane, thank He's you for asking permission to kick it, and it turns out the yeah. answer is yes. Can I kick yes, it? You can. In fact, as a matter of fact, sir, you yeah, can. You go right ahead and kick it. And by the way, as long as it is that we're talking about is a literal foam. It. Yeah, because yeah, I've over. got one for you right here. You just go ahead and punt the hell out of that. All right, let's go back. So I've told this story one time before, but when I, I think it makes – an. It's worth revisiting at least for a, a brief second because of what we're covering this week, and this is the and we are of course talking about Lou Reed's uh, 1988-89 record. Apparently, uh, New offensive York. record to shame. Oh, so angry, it's so just much vitriol. Annoying. I'm not that. I'm not pissed about it. It's just you so make it sound annoying. like it's like Bon Jovi or Poison bad. It is. Okay. Anyway, so I'm gonna tell my story. So, uh, so. Several years ago, at uh, what we here in Austin sometimes refer to as the South by Southwest. Uh, Kevin, we just call it South by. Oh, I'm sorry. You don't need to have the the. I was going to uh, make whatever the Actually, sound is for trademark. Around here, we say the SXXW. <laughs> yes, solid. Anyway, years ago, I had a case. I got invited to. Uh, so basically, the way that everybody does South by, and we've talked about this on this show before. But if you if you are here during the music part of South by, and you want to catch a bunch of music, the best way to do it, unless you're an industry person and have a have a badge and badges get really spendy really fast, is uh, go to a bunch of day parties. And so everybody RSVPs for everything. Most of the time, most of those events you're either not going to be able to get into, or you don't. You Poor can't locals go to day parties, which like I am one. Well, if, more if, if more people. Bands, Day parties are well populated, but they're also a chance for bands to play out a whole bunch. And so what happens is 
is there's always a bunch of stuff on the schedule that's going on that's pretty cool. And you're always going to also miss a bunch of stuff that's pretty cool at the same time. And you just have to like that. You only, you only, unless, you know, unless you have figured out cloning, you are, you can only be in one place at one time. So, uh, and there's also this, the deal that, that these, these days, well, probably not. Um, there's also a deal that South by makes with, with all of the, that allows these day parties to exist where everybody has to sort of shut things down by a certain point in time. And so the evening schedule is usually where the official stuff happens. But years ago, I had occasion to get invited to a club opening where there was a set that was going on that of some names that were kind of emerging at the time and who those were. I don't remember all of them, and the ones I do know, it's not even worth bringing up. So are they submerged now? Well, yeah, I mean, they're not. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> right. At the, at the very least, they're they're level. <laughs> uh, but uh, but anyway, so so uh, Allison and I go out to this thing. We get in. I see the promoter. We get there, and uh, he's like, "Oh, I've got a I've got a seat for you guys." And so the way that this whole thing was set up, it was kind of like almost like a catwalk with like sort of a big circular space at the end. And um, there was seating all around either side of the catwalk and then all the way around this sort of circular part at the end. So if you sort of imagine like almost like the shape of a microphone, if you're looking at it from from above, well, all around the the circular part were where the uh, like kind of VIP seats were. And so we ended up and I, I know I told the story before because I went back. I re- I'm just I assuming Lou Reed was. In one of the VIP. Listen to me. Something? Look, like, I'm, I, I, I'm getting there. I'm, right. I'm sorry. It's taking longer than I thought, but it's, but I'll get to it. So so we get there, and we end up sitting next to Ben Harper and um, and uh, Carlos Santana's son and uh, Sal. And I told this story. Sal like, Santana. Sal Santana's actual name. And so. Uh, I told this story on this show, like, I don't know, like probably a year and a half ago or longer. And um, and we talked about it because I remember the context was that the, I guess the Giants had just been in the World Series and Santana. so going off. Script. Stay with me. Stay with me. Quit interrupting. I'm and I promise, I promise I'll finish. Um, the, but the two Santanas had played the national anthem during the World Series, but. Uh, Carlos was the only one that everybody knows. He could only see uh, Sal's arm, and so anyway. But we we were sitting we were sitting at this show, in between Ben Harper and Sal Santana. And when we got sat down, the club promoter said, "You guys can stay here as long as you like, uh, but if Lou Reed shows up, you got to go." And so we got to stay. He never showed up, but I kind of wanted Lou Reed to get sh- to show up and us get kicked out. Like that's what that's how I wanted that that that, that story. story might have been better that way. Like, so I mean, you were like not a bad story. It's not a bad story. It had, if it had fewer interruptions, it would have gone faster. You but were Lou Reed's like, seat filler. I was. I was absolutely Lou Reed seat filler. Yeah. So that would have been the short version of that. Yeah. Story. Whatever. But that, that, version, that version sucks. Instead, <laughs> <laughs> we got Moby Dick. Yeah. Uh, but that's it, all right. Yeah. Well, I mean, the last great American whale. That's right. Anyway, so Shane. Fortunately. Um, we can get back to the part where Shane really loves this record, can't get enough of it, and would like to dissect it. Maybe that last part is probably true. I don't know that he wants like, to dissect Well, he might want to dissect it while it's still living. It just right. sucks. Yeah. I don't hate it that much. I mean, I hate it, but I don't hate it in like a, an 
But it doesn't feel like Christmas in February. You know what, what's kind of ironic about all this is that you're kind of a curmudgeon about this record the way Lou Reed was about everything. No, you know what, man? Look, this is this is why I feel so I'm angry about this record. I had bought some Lou Reed records when I was in high school. I'd heard so many things about him, and he was like, lyrics by and music by Lou Reed. And I was – he just seemed like an asshole. I'd read these interviews with him, and he just seemed like an asshole. And I got older, and I was like, well, you sure there's something I don't understand? And then I got into college, and I listened to his music, and uh, this is you know, one of the records. And I'm like, this – Still sucks, and okay. At one point, why are you still being assholes to everybody, or being an asshole to well, everybody? Well, okay, apparently he had a long history of assholeship. Well, but um, he can't back it up with this fucking music on this album because this is well. Okay, so he got like committed uh, when he was like in high school. And, okay, like, great. Uh, what does that have to do with this album? I'm just saying. Okay, that, like I think it was pretty endemic to him, like going back. By the way, this guy was in ROTC at some point and was like a platoon leader or some shit. Uh, okay, so in 1989, when he wrote this shit album, what does that have to fucking do with it, man? I'm just saying uh, his... Morrissey is a fucking piece of shit asshole that fucking is racist right now. What does that have to do with this charming man? Nothing. I guess the parallel would be that like uh, Morrissey used to be in a great band and so did Lou Reed. And they're... Talents have diminished over time, and, well, Lou Reed doesn't have any right now because he's not around anymore. So, um, uh, well, then, then maybe it's diminished all the way. But I I, <laughs> I think um, you guys talked earlier, spoke about um, Christmas in February as an example of a track that you... Well, okay, we've already played it on this show, and so I yeah, do... for our have Christmas mixed our, Yeah, our first... Uh, how about annual? How about the last great American whale? Have we played that one yet? Yeah, we did. We did okay. Oh, um, got, I, I, I got do a, like, I got a great one that we could play. No, no, Kevin no, Jess, I, everyone. Hey, Kevin Jess. Hey, ass wipes. <laughs> uh, Sick of you is a pretty. If amazing I pick song. the record, uh, generally I pick all the songs, but that's fine. I let you. Pick, no, pick another generally one. you curate. Like, you curate them. Here's what's going to happen. We're gonna we're gonna play twelve songs. I need it in this order. Um, in the middle I did of the time, like once <laughs> no, that I wanted to I transition say, on a yellow single three, record. I would say which, probably by three way, times than I have. Which, by the way, one of the songs that I'm not going to play because Shane commandeered uh, one of mine. But like, there is uh, what is it? Um, there is no time. First half of that song sucks ass. Second half, I can totally hear it being influential to the both the Pixies and Yola Tango. But I'm not going to do that one, to one. us. Okay, uh, but. Like, I think the second half of that song is great and uh, and led the way for some uh, leading lights that a lot of us like. Pretty sure the Pixies were, like, halfway through their career when that came in out. In 1989, but... they were probably – they were – That was – Bossa that was Nova, this... uh, I believe, came out in 1989, Doolittle in 88. <laughs> Anyhow, um, I do love Dime Store Mysteries, the last song on the record. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of that weird song that almost made Shane like have a seizure. Um, <laughs> Wait, which one? Godly which song? And Cream, uh, Cry. Um, Wait, it, what? it has a similar oh, yeah. to it. Oh, yeah. Which I song? Remember. The one with the, the melting cream. faces that melted from one to another that was the black and white thing that gave you nightmares. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyway, Dime Store Mystery, I think, is a great song. Uh, and there's there's probably like 
beyond that and the one I just mentioned, like like one other song that I can fully get behind. But anyway, which uh, one do you want to get into? Dime Store Mystery. Play it. He was lying banged and battered, skewered and bleeding, talking crippled on the cross. Was his mind reeling and heaving, hallucinating, fleeing what a loss. The things he hadn't touched or kissed, his senses slowly stripped away. Not like Buddha, not like Vishnu. Life wouldn't rise to him again. I find it easy to believe that he might question his beliefs. Hey, so it occurs to me, you know, Shane, you were talking earlier about how you think that it's possible that maybe this is a character that Lou Reed's playing, and I got to thinking about it. And I'm wondering if, what if it's not a like? So some of the some of the pieces that I have read on this record have referred to it as a concept album by virtue of the subject matter. Um, and I almost feel like a concept album and, a, and an album where the protagonist or the the artist plays a character aren't they're not the same thing, but they kind of feel like flips. They could be flip sides of the same coin. Thoughts. Yeah, or possibly just um, kind of the same dudes with just a little bit of a like a quirk. Yeah, yeah I read something about uh, where uh, Lou Reed kind of compared like his relationship with New York to like William Faulkner's relationship with Mississippi. Like, and you know, if you read any Faulkner, like that's definitely like where he was living and like intellectually and physically. Uh, you could, and, that could make sense. And Lou Reed, you know, like, you know, this time of New York, 1989, like, apparently was kind of a shitty place to be. Uh, yeah, it had not been cleaned up at that point to the extent that it has now. Yeah. And, you know, love him or hate him, apparently Rudy Giuliani, like, you know, got... Some- and Dinkins before him, hence, uh, like, a lot of some of the Dinkins shout outs that we've heard today. Well, Dickens was like at the like at the nadir of like New York being like New York with spray painting people's glasses while they're getting off the you know that kind of shit. Right. And Giuliani turning into a you know Disneyland is what people said. So like, I think like what he was coming off of in this record was the tail end of the Dickens and the beginning of the Giuliani sort of you know thing. Well, okay, so when I uh, you know when we're Talking about um, this song, uh, uh, Dime Store Mystery. Dime Store Mystery. Like, like when I read them, like they're just kind of seem like uh, regular poetry. You know, like it's not bad. Um, but the but the music is the music. I don't I, know. I this I, is I, I the only this one song, song okay, on you this know album. What? That it, it's not bad. The music it's not bad. Is... I guess why I say that is like I'm just waiting for like the whole. Like it's just. I don't know. You know I think what? if you actually had someone committed to the melody of this song and singing it on top of the the musicians that are playing, uh, you've got some strings in there. 
You've got some complex drum parts in there. I think that you could turn this into a beautiful song. There, but there also is a little bit of that Lou Reed equation, right, Where that is very similar to, like, I feel like there's a lot of, like, kind of the the same ethos as pavement, even though it's not the same type of music. Like, just the can't-be-bothered delivery. Like, that whole flat, monotone. Well, and that's uh, kind of like, been his MO, like, like, his whole career. Sure. But, like, when I, okay, so I've been pulling these up. Uh, here and there, like throughout the show, and you know, like it's kind of like why I don't really like poetry. I actually like these lyrics more in the context of them being set to music than I. I mean, not that I think there's anything wrong with them. I just don't know what the fuck they mean. Like, frankly, I got more out of the Descendants record than I did this. But like, <laughs> I just like like I mean, they at least tell you what they're talking about. Uh, but musically, like, I actually like it considerably more than Shane. Uh, I'm surprised you said B minus. I thought for sure you were going to say like a D if I gave an F to it, but I'm surprised to hear you say that. I will say one thing that I said before, um, not in a, an affirmative way, but um, it, it's sort of alluding to what you're saying right now. Like, I think that's partially about – it's like a middle-aged man that gave up. And so like you know, his whole career was – his early career was based on these – shocking sort of rip the scales off the eyes of society and then he just went through these obtuse obfuscated lyrics as he got older and you know it just he had nothing it, you know what it sounds like to me it's like a dude that it's like oh it's been uh, i don't know let me look at my watch four years since i put out a record I need to come up with some songs real quick Is but it, i'm lou reed so i can come up with whatever songs i want manufactured to. or resolute like do you think do you think he's he's type he's playing a part here? Or do you think that I, this really is just him kind of giving in? I, to well, I think that's a good question. I think that's that's the only thing that possibly, in my opinion, personally, makes it sound somewhat even remotely interesting. Is trying to figure out are there characters? I t- I tend to feel that they're characters, but also there's somewhat of his like curmudgeonly nature like filtering into those characters. So it looks like Kevin has something to say, and we haven't heard a whole lot about the critical response of this record, um, which normally is Kevin's thing. Yeah, no, we've 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 talked a little bit about it. I mean, generally speaking, I think most of the most of the pundits seem to. I mean, we, we talked about the fact that um, I didn't specifically call it a bunch of the like the consequence of sound dusted this off several years after the fact, and they really talked about it. Mostly in terms of the the content, they tried to, to extrapolate the political context from uh, this being a record about New York when it was dirty and stark to harsher national political uh, positions that were. He does that, mention that Donald Trump at one point. Uh, yeah, I did hear that. Donald Trump, yeah. Bernard Getz. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Anyway, the point being, the point being is like I think it's easy to go the, down the rabbit hole on stuff like that, and frankly, it's just. Um, I didn't necessarily find a take that was that just really uh, set me ablaze. So, anyway, I think uh, ultimately I've shared my my two and a half cents on this one, and you know I'm glad we got a chance to listen to it. I don't know that I'll probably spend a lot of time with it after this week. There, there are good four or five songs that I'm going to take with me. 
uh, after this I journey. I guarantee you, you will never listen to those songs again unless you hear them. <laughs> Dude, on the Dirty radio. Boulevard and Christmas from February. Like, if you hear them on the radio, you'd be like, "Oh, I like that song." You're never going to be at your house. No, Christmas in February. I'm going to like add to like a playlist. Yeah, but like, you're never going to be there. Like, oh, Dirty Boulevard. I love. You're never going to do. that. I do love that you're, song. It is a good song. Dirty Boulevard had its and moment. And frankly, there's 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 one other that I hadn't even brought up that like. Hey, Kevin, what were you? Uh, what? <laughs> Sorry, I'm not, I'm not gonna play another song. But uh, what the hell? Uh, Sick of you, uh, Sick of you. I think is a good song. I think it, that's the worst it, song on the album. It kind of sounds like lay down. But I don't want to. Kind of sounds like lay down, Sally. But like I dug it. Obviously, much more than you did. Well, let's get into the uh, new song this evening. Uh, Kevin, is that you? Yep, I've got it. So. Uh, so lucky for you guys, I saw Itania this past week, and it's something. We'll talk about that a little bit, but mostly we're going to talk about the song that we're going to listen to next, which is uh, the Sufjan Stevens epic, uh, Tanya Harding, which is very literally about uh, the same thing that movie's about. Hard. Apparently, also, uh, writing this song was hard. Uh, Sufjan Stevens has apparently been trying to write Tanya Harding, the song, for almost 30 years. Uh, he put out an essay that came out along with How this. Old is that guy? I don't think 30. I think 20 years. Cause that, 30 is what it, what it says, well, what I'm looking at right now. came out in, you know, night, she, that, she skated in 1990, and then, but... 1994 thing. All right, we might be getting mired down in small details, but yeah, true. Anyway, it per this is it's a one-off single, and Pitchfork wrote a little bit about it, and I'll just share a a quick nugget, and then I'll then we'll throw it to the room. Says listening to the track, especially paired with its stunning music video, which in this case was literally a. It's just one of her like uh, routines that he. Found that actually synced up with the song pretty well. Well, yeah, and so basically their take on it was like it's hard to believe that he actually struggled with putting this song together. But anyway, um, he apparently, you know, occasionally Sufjan Stevens is is given to the epic uh, description. It's ve- it's a very literal song, but it's also um, sort of haunting in the way that it's put together. But anyway, they just said, I'll just pull out an excerpt that says. Tanya Harding feels uh, graceful and effortless, a series of verses unfolding with a warm, lilting candor, telling the story of Olympic figure skater who, among other things, was accused of conspiring an attack on a competing skater. Uh, Sufjan takes the, po- the tone of a pep-talking friend, 
Uh, the world is a bitch girl. He sings sweetly. Don't end up in a ditch girl. So anyway, I, I really enjoyed this. Uh, no, it's great. And the I movie was, I, is I, I, that was a really, really, really good song. Yeah, yeah. And the, so it's timely that it comes out around the same time as as the movie. Yeah, I, mean, I don't that, remember that being uh, on the soundtrack at all. So I don't think oh, it's related. No, she doesn't like that song. Oh, did, I bet she does. Was not no. Anyway, um, but the, uh, the Ryan. The uh, and this is not a this is not a film show, so we won't uh, devolve into this. But um, if Goodfellas was about figure skating, told exactly the same way, uh, it would be I Tanya. So you should totally go see that film. Wow. Uh, well, Goodfellas uh, is my favorite movie of all time. I've seen now seen it so many times that I don't. I try to not watch it as much. Yeah. Like when it comes on like A and E or whatever, I'm like I. I can't. I'm just saying that when you see I, Tanya, it'll be it's such an homage in terms of the way that that story is told. You won't yeah. be able to. Well, not I did watch the, the similarities. like two hour long like ABC documentary about this whole thing, and still like like uh, it's up in the air like whether she actually knew what was going on. But she is an intriguing person. She knew what was going on. <laughs> could be. Anyway, could be. see the movie. But yeah. but that said, um, yeah. Anyway, I like clearly this is something that. This artist has been wanting to to uh, write about and sing about for some time. Well, and much and like the comment that you you pointed out in that article, I mean, it it seems like he just wrote, he just sat down, watched this particular performance video, and just wrote this song to the video. Like it seemed effortless to me. It was it, synced up for sure. Yeah, uh, I guarantee you that's not what she was skating to because it didn't exist. Well, no, obviously it wasn't. But but I mean. The the point being that it seems good, good point, Ryan. <laughs> it yeah. seems to fit very well with with the skating style and all the moves and everything. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. You know, I read something um, about her uh, the other day, and um, basically it, it boiled down to at the end of the day, like she she doesn't really. Whatever. I'm not going to get to this right now. Like, I don't know why. I'm like, thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> yeah, I know. Now I'm like, like, wait a minute. Watch this has the thing nothing, you don't want to talk about. This has nothing to do with uh, what we're what we're talking about musically. However, I do know that she doesn't ever want to hear the uh, Sufjan Stevens song that we just listened to. Maybe that's true. I will say that uh, again. Allison Janney, Ryan, is amazing. She's a, that, a fantastic that, actress. That, She's also show. in a subpar CBS. Uh, sitcom right now. Yeah. But nothing about yeah. that. Anyway, go see the movie. Um, Are we still recording? Yeah. But anyway, that's the that's the Tanya Harding track. Um, I enjoyed the Told as a too. as uh, what they call in Pitchfork a tear stained diary entry, which kind of it it yeah. reads a little bit like. It was pretty pretty amazingly beautiful. Yeah, it was no Lou Reed's New York, but uh but I dig <laughs> it still. Yeah. All right. So Who's got next week? I have next week. And so um, it occurs to me that, you know, and I, it was not an accident that I threw out the question about concept album versus character, um, because I think you can tell a lot about an artist, any artist, uh, who has, a, you know, has a few albums into their career who puts out a concept record and what they choose to conceptualize. Uh, given the fact that occasionally we go down the road of, uh, Talking a lot about AM Gold. I thought I, I thought we would listen to next week. We'll do um, 
Josh Rouse's concept album, 1972, which is his, his tribute to Angle. Also the year of my birth. Well, then uh, we'll talk about that mostly. I think we should. We should <laughs> yeah. just, I'll bring my baby book. Anyway, um, I have I have lots of opinions on, on this kind of thing, and I, I feel certain that the rest of you guys will too, but Excellent. that's what we'll do next go-round. Who are we? In the meantime, I'm Kevin. I'm Ryan. I'm Shane. I'm Mark. This is Somebody Likes It.